Hey everyone, welcome back to Around the Emirates podcast with Sarah Musa, where I speak to guests from across the UAE about topics you want to hear about. Today, I'm joined by an incredible guest, Duncan Fraser-Smith. Hello, Duncan. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Very good indeed. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. So, Duncan, I understand that you are founder and CEO of your own company, The Cutting Edge Agency in the hospitality industry, and you're also a published author with a book called Create to Play, right? That's correct. Yeah, that was that kind of came about towards the end of uh, end of 2020, uh, 2021 uh, was the thought about doing that. And uh, yeah, it's been an amazing journey to go down some amazing stories to explore. And uh, yeah, it's been a, so far a wonderful career and lots more to come. That's an incredible introduction. I love how you just gave yourself the context right there. You're making my job so much easier today. Um, so you are obviously a pioneer and a trailblazer in the hospitality industry. Please tell me your story, how you got into this sector and how the, your company and book came to be. Yeah, well, it depends how much time you've got, but it's a, uh, it's a, it, it, where it starts and where it all begins is, well, I think I was 14 years old. And my parents uh, took me to the opening of the Grand Hyatt Hotel in Melbourne. And 14-year-old kid, this is back in the 80s, uh, but I'm not going to give away my age. Um, <laughs> I and, think you uh, just did. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I walked into this, this, this Sunday brunch. Now, I know the, the UAE is famous for its brunches, but back, back then in the 80s, Sunday brunch was the thing. And I saw polished pink marble and polished brass and silver chafing dishes that had little white napkins tied around them so you didn't burn yourself when you lifted the lids. And I remember turning to my father and saying, yeah, I think this is what I want to do one day. This is, this is, this is kind, of my, kind of my scene. So fast forward ahead uh, three more years after that and graduating high school, we kind of had a choice. Do I go to hotel management school in Australia or do I go to hotel management school in Switzerland? Hmm. Turns out it wasn't much of a choice. Uh, so I heavily influenced the folks and said, yes, no, 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 I want to go do three years in Switzerland, do it properly and understand where my real sort of passions within hospitality lie. Hmm. And it wasn't long before I found out that F&B and restaurants and, and cafes and anything kind of in that food service area was where my strength sort of went to, you know, hmm. as a 15 year old kid, I imagine being a GM of a hotel but what I found out was my passion, where my drive came from, was that day-to-day -day service experience with guests and, 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 and basically, you know, improving everyone's day by giving them an experience within an F&B outlet. So when I graduated, I came back to Australia, or I went back to Australia, and the first job I got was back at Grand Hyatt Melbourne, which oh. was just like closing that little circle off. Mm. And I was there for uh, not even 12 months, I think. And the one thing that they never tell you about in the hospitality industry is when you graduate high school and you go into accounting or law, you graduate and you're a lawyer and you're an accountant. When you go to a hotel management school or hospitality management school, after three years, you graduate and you're a waiter. That's actually how it works. You don't, you don't, you don't jump in into management. It doesn't happen. Of course. So I went back and I was a waiter and I was fine with that. But, you know, Hyatt came to me that heard about my background and said, we're doing a renovation of a property in Sydney. Would you be interested to come up and have a look at the F&B side of it? And I just jumped at it. And I was in my early 20s then. And that was the start of a long journey to uh, to uh, getting into restaurant creation and restaurant development. 
Um, so much so that in the uh, in 2008, when uh, I first moved over here to the Middle East, I moved over to sort of curate the F&B and hospitality offering uh, in Qatar, a Qatar, um, uh, Aspire Zone in Qatar, a cultural village. Mm. Uh, and that was that was my first sort of opportunity to really open my eyes and see what the uh, the uh, F&B scene was like in this part of the world. Uh, pretty quickly after I did that, uh, IHG came knocking on the door and said, Duncan, we need you to start looking at our projects in Europe, Middle East, Africa and Asia. So all of a sudden my bandwidth grew immensely. And uh, and I was doing a project for an owner down in uh, in Abu Dhabi. Can't mention names, can't mention hotels. But he came to me and said, look, I've got this other hotel in a different brand. He said, Duncan, I'd really like your advice on what I can do with this. Yeah. And I said, unfortunately, I can't I can't do that. You know, I'm I'm working for another operator. I can't do that. He said, well, you should set up your own business and then you can work for everyone. And that was 10 years ago and I haven't stopped since. So it's been an amazing journey. It's been a, a fun-filled journey, a, a journey full of learnings uh, and continues to be. But uh, yeah, sort of restaurant concept creation and then execution. And then, you know, we, we, we sort of call it, you know, create, uh, define, revive, recover. So restaurants that need to be turned around. And that's where my passion lies every day. When I see something, a project that comes up, I just want to dive head, feet, uh, head first into it. And, and see what I can do to create something that's going to be best in class for future generations. Wow. I I mean, the fact that you're able to take something that you love as a passion and literally become your own boss and maintain that passion for yourself is in itself already so inspiring. And I know that everyone would love to be their own boss and keep loving what they're doing as well, right? Absolutely. It's And it's interesting. It's one of those things where... You know, you go through your journey, your journey in life, and I and I had a once again significant birthday last year. Won't mention any names or dates. Um, and I was talking to a mentor uh, that I've had for the, for the last couple of years, and they said to me, "You know, what's next for you? You know, what's the next thing?" Uh, and of course, I was thinking in my, you know, decade previous headspace, going, "Well, I want to go and create, you know, a restaurant that's, you know, now that we've got Michelin in, in the UAE, I want to go and create a restaurant that's Michelin, I want to do this and go Malau and blah, blah, blah. And he said, you realize at this stage in your life now, it's not, it's not about that anymore. It's actually about what, how do you take what you've done and give that back to people that are just coming up through the ranks that mm -hmm. are starting out, that are maybe going, you know, I've been a, a head chef in a hotel restaurant for the last six years, and I think I can really do my own venue. How do you give back to them and give them all of the knowledge and tools that you've kind of had over those years um, to, to give them sort of the best chance for setting themselves up for success? And that's where obviously Create to Plate was kind of born and bred. And it's a big pillar now of obviously what we do with the Cutting Edge Agency is the education piece and how we can, you know, hand back and, and sort of pay back um, to people that are coming through with all the learnings and the insights and the tactics that, that we discover over many, many concepts. I mean, I think in the Middle East alone, uh, in what is it now, 2008, so what are we, 15 years, it's over 220 concepts now that we've that I've, that wow. I've done over here. So you learn quite a lot through that process. So going back to what you just said about kind of the learnings and and considering kind of the the, the vast experience you have in the region here alone, what would you say um, are some of the key learnings that are that are that you'd like to share kind of with the audience from the book and from your journey so far? 
Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's well, in, in the book itself, I think every chapter is a, is a learning mm-hmm. um, because at the end of each chapter I call, I put in what's called a slam dunk moment, which is kind of a, if you don't read any of the rest of it, just take that sentence and walk away with it and that'll, that'll get you started. But, you know, it all comes down to, understand, I think initially it comes down to we're in a passion business. Um, if you don't have passion for hospitality, if you don't have passion for dining, and if you don't have passion for making people feel good, um, then it's not the right business for you. Mm. And so for some people, that that does change over the years and they lose their passion for it. Um, right. But, yeah, so the key thing is you've got to be passionate. You've got to understand why you're doing it. And in the book, I kind of deviate that out between um, owners who, who own their own vested interest and then you've sometimes got some directors of food and beverage and hotels or restaurant managers that are not necessarily the big decision players, but they've got a job to do to deliver that that uh, that vision through to, to guests on the floor. So you've got to understand why in your heart you're doing it, because at the end of the day, people don't buy what you do, they mm. buy why you do it. And that, and that for me is kind of, if we want to start at that point, that's a very, you know, one of the fundamentals in hospitality is forgetting about how great the dish looks. That's awesome. But people don't buy the dish. They want to buy the reason why you decided to put that dish on the plate. Hence create to play. Got it. I, I totally got Hence that connection. <laughs> I got it. I like that. I like that. But it was also taking the, the words eat to eight because you kind of eat and then you've, you've, you've eaten oh. and then you've ate. That makes sense. So, so oh. I, I'm going to do my plug. See, it's actually, I don't know if you can see. Oh, you can't see it. They won't let me show it. I want to record in your face and you'll see it right there. There you go. We you can see, see it. Crates of plate. Got it. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> oh dear. The, the the benefits of technology. Anyway, our world wouldn't be the same without Zoom and Teams and all of that now. Um, but, it's the same, it's, but it's the same in, uh, in hospitality. I mean, one of the big things that, that I've kind of learned one of the big insights is number of restaurants that I've been into over the last, you know, three years, um, they still have an operations folder that sits on top of a refrigerator in a kitchen that's gathering dust. Mm. And you, you go and open it up and all of the processes on how to how to make a cappuccino, how to shuck an oyster, how to do they're all sitting there in a folder that no one's ever looking at. So one of the key things that we started recently, which was a huge uh, huge kind of learning, was how much time was wasted, and I'll use a chef as an example, how much time was wasted by a chef training his staff or her staff how to prepare a dish. So mm-hmm. you'd have the head chef, female head chef, and the sous chef comes in and they need to learn how to make a, I don't know, Alaskan king crab dish as an example. And the chef has to show them all of the processes. And then that sous chef leaves and another chef de party comes in and they have to go through exactly the same thing. It's time that your team and your colleagues spend repeating themselves over and over and over again doing the same thing that is actually not beneficial to hospitality businesses as a whole. So we now video everything. So when the chef prepares the king crab, the Alaskan king crab dish, it's videoed. It's in, the instructions are added to it. It's uploaded to a to a, a, a cloud based um, portal, and then when the sous chef or the chef de party come in, they want to learn how to do it. They can be sitting on the bus or the metro on their way home at the end of the day with their phone out, their headphones in, and learn how to do the dish. But the chef is off doing something else, which right. is a phenomenally good use of time. We, even down to cappuccinos and 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 making coffee. We've we've 
digitized that whole format, which has been a very exciting um, learning for us over the process because everything was paper driven in the past. That is so effective. And you actually, you bring me on to, to kind of my next question, because clearly there's been a lot of kind of innovation that goes into this. And it's not the usual, like, kind of, like, like you said, it's not like a, a, you know, some dusty book in the back of the kitchen, but like it's actual ways to be cost effective and, and effective use of your time as well. So you, you would have you've only had the kind of inspiration to create these methods that had you come across the challenges that put you in those positions. So I'm kind of curious, after starting your own company in the hospitality industry and writing your own book, what are some of the key challenges that you've experienced and how do you feel you overcame them? Oh, wow. I mean, I could go on for hours, but <laughs> I think so, some, some of the key ones some of the really key ones would, would, would stem from uh, the two obvious ones is your human capital and your competition. Um, how many nights do we spend thinking about our competition and what they're doing? And, you know, how do we make sure that we're always going to be just that little one step ahead? Um, but human capital has become the most valuable um, challenge slash resource um, that we have in the industry. Um, technology has its place. But I clearly state and have always stated that hospitality is Danny Meyer, who wrote probably the quintessential Bible to hospitality. It's a book called Setting the Table. He wrote it about 25 years ago or 20 mm -hmm. years ago. And he says, service is a monologue and hospitality is a dialogue. And that's so true. Service is one-way delivery. I right. give you a plate of food. Hospitality is the engagement. It's that engaging piece. And so the people that have to create that engagement and ultimately that emotional connection with your venue, because emotions create feelings, feelings create memories, that makes the venue someplace that you want to come back to, especially if all of those tick the right boxes. You've got to have people that are, are delivering, not just in the kitchen and on the floor, but back of house as well, with that same mentality of being able to engage in hospitality. And it is it's a it's a challenge because people's motivations, as I said before, the why, why do people work? Some people work in hospitality and it's not just this region, it's around just for the money. They work yeah. just to get a salary, just to get paid. And in, in a lot of other businesses, that's fine. In our business, it's it's tantamount to, to almost, you know, creating multiple challenges within the organization. Um, but we understand people's motivations are different. So I, I truly believe that, you know, one of the biggest challenges is making sure that you've got the right person in the right job, in the right role. And then the other thing is check the ego, like park the ego to one side. I have a huge philosophy over these years that is every single person that works for you must be smarter than you in the job that they're doing. We have to be a jack of all trades. We have to be able to do dive into di different areas and, and help out. But if you've got a restaurant manager or a general manager or a director of F&B or, or an EAM, uh, make sure that they are smarter than you in their job uh, because they will ultimately then give you the results that you need. And it's hard for some people to take that lesson on, but uh, I will tell you a story later on where uh, we had probably one of the biggest openings I've ever done and things weren't quite going to, to track and it would have been very easy for me to just step in and say, right, you go do that, you go do that. Mm -hmm. but yeah we'll talk about that later 
Well, it's actually my next question. And now that the fact that you just said that you have to be a jack of all trades in this industry, that must mean that you've seen a lot of wild experiences um, as, as you've kind of uh, grown your, the success of the companies you've worked for. So please do tell me the story about this opening. <laughs> well, it was a few years ago. And if people Google it, they'll, they'll kind of figure it out. But there were, um, you know, when you've got, when you've got what was then, and aside from Royal Atlantis opening, it was still probably one of the biggest openings that we've had uh, in Dubai in the last sort of ten years. Um, and you know, we had a Michelin star chef, we had entertainment provided by Cirque du Soleil. Uh, the venue was in a beautiful location. Um, we had guests with the surnames of Par of Hilton, Kardashian. Uh, Akon doesn't have a surname, so I'll just use his name, <laughs> Ritik Roshan. Ritik Roshan. <laughs> you know, that was on the guest list, right? And the most premium of beverages was being poured. And the venue looked immaculate. It was stunning. We had two opening nights back to back, 800 people each night. And 4 p.m. on the afternoon of the first opening night, the air conditioning unit stops. And this was... Oh, no. September. <sighs> so, so I get this phone call. Like, I'll be, I got four phone calls. Duncan, the AC is not working in the venue. Okay. Now, what I didn't want to do was upset the flow of the, uh, of the event. So mm -hmm. I said to the, to the restaurant general manager and to everyone else, I said, you just continue on like everything's normal. I will fix the AC problem, okay, which is a change. Most people don't do that. Most people will jump in and say, well, I'll run the event and you go and you know, no, 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 the right thing. You've hired them to do this, so let them do their job. Hmm. So I was on the phone to organise these portable air conditioning units, of which we needed, I think, 10, and um, found a company that would, was prepared to bring them out, but then we noticed the building didn't have enough power to power them, so we also had to find a generator which we sunk into a construction site next to the building and ran cabling up, drilled holes in glass window. I mean, we did everything in order to make sure that these units were in there. And then when they arrived, the venue was quite dark and moody and the units themselves were taupe in colour, which stood out so obviously. So plentiful cans of black spray paint were purchased from Ace Hardware and we were around spray painting them all around the venue to make sure that uh, that they blended in with the backdrop and they weren't obvious. And at 7.30 when the first guests arrived, the venue was pleasantly cool. So <laughs> now this was on the front page of Golf News. This was on the front page of uh, the Times, of Tabloid, all uh, covered the story of this opening. They all did. No one ever knew, well, they do now, but no one ever knew then that up until that point you would have had Paris Hilton doing a DJ set with makeup pouring down her face because it would have been 50 degrees inside the venue. All right. I'm going to do a quick shout out moment for the hospitality industry, the people behind the scenes, because that kind of stuff <laughs> is, I don't even know. Bravo, oh, guys. Bravo, bravo. Wow. To give you another funny story, and the gentleman, if he ever hears this, he'll 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 really not be pleased with me for saying it. But I, I told him, it was gonna, I said, I'm not putting it in the book, but if I'm asked about funny stories that's coming out. We we did a, a, a venue, um, actually a, a fantastic venue for an international car manufacturer. And if you get a copy of Create to Plate, you'll know exactly which one I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, 
it was the, their second only global uh, venture into the F&B space with a car brand above it. And the uh, the owner of this particular concept based here was very, very hands-on in the development of the venue, which again, I think is great. It's our job as, as uh, F&B consultants to steer people in the right direction, but we, we welcome all the feedback and all of that. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry, it makes me laugh when I think about it. So one of his key, key requests was he wanted a, a baked American cheesecake as a dessert on the menu. Right? Just that was okay. his request. Now we were like, okay, we can do that. It doesn't quite fit into what the concept is that we're creating, but we will, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll manage, massage it. We'll, we'll, we'll do something. So we got four different baked American cheesecakes made by our pastry chef, put up on a counter, uh, for him to come in and and experience, and he came in with a with a spoon and he tasted the first one and then he went mm, and then he tasted the second one, and he tasted the third one, he tasted the fourth one, and then with two hands, he picked them up in his hands and said, "This is not cheesecake," <laughs> and squished them between his fingers. My poor pastry chef, she nearly fell backwards and fell on the floor, and I thought, okay. Somehow we've really got this wrong, or he perhaps has a different interpretation of what baked cheesecake is. So digging in again, no, he, he was absolutely right in that he didn't know what the expectation of baked cheesecake was. He wanted, he didn't want baked, he wanted traditional. But he, mm. when he told us what he wanted, the word baked American cheesecake came out, and that's what we created. I, I have hundreds of these stories and anecdotes of, of these sort of scenarios <laughs> that happen where, where things kind of get lost a little bit in translation. But the look on everyone's face when this cheesecake is picked up from the plate and it's just like squished in his fingers. And I was like, yes, welcome to hospitality. Shout yeah. out to all the people that work at house in hospitality as well because they all have to do it. <laughs> Wow. Well, I know what I'm reading next. Oh my God. I need to read your book now. I need to completely just like dive into it. And I want to see more of these funny stories. Um, but, uh, <laughs> wow. Um, there you go. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is an industry. I think that the best way to describe it, it's an industry that, that is so dynamic and so universal, but you know, my, our philosophy and what we always talk about is, is building a concept with soul. You've got to have an outlet that has a heartbeat, that has a soul to it, you know, and and having having that as kind of, and we have that across all of our platforms, all of our pillars, is that you've got to understand, you know, a brand new restaurant, when you walk into it, should have an element of feeling lived in. It shouldn't be just stark. And that's not just about the fixtures and fittings. It's about giving it that, that element of its own personality. And as I mentioned before, Soul gets generated from this emotional co connectivity piece, which is those wow moments in people's brains when they see something or they feel something or they hear something that makes them go, "This, this is amazing." And uh, and yeah, we always it's great. One of the one of the other analogies that that gets used quite a lot is you always want to have shared ownership with your with your customers, and shared ownership means when they go out and talk to their friends and their colleagues about your venue, they say, "I have to take you to my steakhouse." Or I have to take you to my Italian restaurant because then they feel like they have part of ownership in what you're producing. And word of mouth, as we know, is one of the best forms of marketing and advertising in the business.
Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with me, Duncan. It's been an absolute honor to hear this. I'm, I'm delighted that you're able to be on the show and talk about not just lessons for hospitality, but lessons that we could all keep in mind when it comes to our jobs and our careers, like to, to be passionate and to make sure that we know that we're not, like you said, we're not selling what's on the plate, but we're selling the actual, why am I dining here? Why am I take, choosing this experience? Why am I choosing you as a person to come and, 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 and support me? So thank you very much for being on my show. It's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure, Sarah. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. And if you guys want to check out his book, Creates a Play, it's available now across all different platforms. You can also have a look through across our Instagram and LinkedIn pages for more details there. Bye.